What's up, guys? It's Little D from FMF. When I'm not mixing gas and hauling ass, I'm listening to Big MX Radio. Hey, guys, what's up? This is Andy Frisella here. You're listening to Big MX Radio. But when you're done with this episode, come check out the MFCEO project, mfceo.com. I got all your motivation. I've got everything you need to know about running your brand. I've got everything you need to know about getting shit done, and we can do it together. started. Big MX Radio, brought to you by Fly Racing USA, is on the air. Fueled by passion, focused on motocross. W Wheels USA, Moto Ice Wrap, and Maxima USA make it possible to bring you the news, the interviews, and the point of views inside the sport of motocross. The gate's about to drop. On Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by FMF and Fast House. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, a guy who has created endless amounts of hours of content for uh, motocross nerds like me to absolutely pour over and uh, and study and rewatch and rewatch. And uh, he's probably uh, uh, gotten a few songs stuck in our heads over the years as well. Goes with the name of Jay Schweitzer. Jay, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having me on the show, Brad. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for uh, making some time for us. You are show number 499, uh, and I'm pretty pumped about, uh, to, to have you on. The, you're the fifth podcast this week. Oh, man, I wish I was number 500. <laughs> well, I'll call you up in one week's time and, and make you on five, show 500 if that makes you happy, but uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just happy to have another episode posted. Yeah, no, no, it's cool. I just thought about, uh, a rounded 500 number would have been cool, but uh, I'll take 499. That's fine. Hey, I'll tell you this much. I'll always remember the podcast that got me right before uh, uh, 500, which is a bit of a milestone uh, as far as uh, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, um, you yourself are responsible for bringing so much motocross uh, action to the eyeballs, to the hearts of, uh, of, of fans like myself, people who have uh, become engrossed with this, this sport um, through uh, the different video series that you've worked with in the past. Before we talk about uh, some of the footage that you were able to capture this last weekend, um, dial the clocks back for us a little bit. Kind of uh, For those who might not be in the know, uh, what are you responsible for uh, as far as motocross history goes and, uh, and the films that we love, we love so much? Um, well, I got my start in 1997 in the motocross world before that i was uh somewhat involved in the snowboard world okay uh living in lake tahoe but um i got my start in the motocross world uh right after i graduated uh sierra nevada college here in lake tahoe i um had pitched a uh, a project to a friend um it was a, a punk rock music video project called eargasm and, uh, like I said, this is in 1997. Um, I had pitched it to a guy by the name of Kurt Haller. Kurt Haller was 
the principal cinematographer for the Moto Triple X series, along with uh, Jordan Burns and Eric Sandin. Uh, you know, Eric Sandin, the drummer of No right. Effects, and uh, and Jordan obviously uh, was a twenty-year anyway. member of Strung Out. Strung Out, that's right. Strung Out. Yeah. So um, no, Byron is the drummer of, of Pennywise. That's, that's right. Something different. But, um, yeah, so I pitched uh, those guys on making a punk rock music video called Eargasm. And, uh, you know, Kurt was all into it. So we started working on the punk rock video, music video first, filming legendary bands like Bad Religion, No Effect, Pennywise, Suicidal Tendencies, AFI, Rise Again, Offspring, Social D, you name it. Sex right. Pistols, every top hits. punk rock band. Yeah, we, we filmed them all and, and made this video called Eargasm that was intercut with different sports uh simultaneously while i was doing that uh film project with kurt uh he asked me to come help move his business uh motor triple x um up from la up to santa barbara i decided to give it a shot and that was kind of the start of my motocross background in 1997 i began working with him on motor triple x3 um i went on to do three four five and six Motor Triple X videos. Um, and uh, then I did a video, a documentary video project called Mad Mike's Mayhem, which was a documentary on Mad Mike Jones. Right. Um, and a lot of crazy shit happened there. And then uh, after that, I kind of went off on my own. Um, when I was working for Motor Triple X, we had started the first ever freestyle team with Kerry Hart and Mike Sinkmars. And I was the freestyle team manager, and then I ended up becoming the race team manager and traveling all these races. But uh, I wasn't really too into. I thought the direction of the company should have gone all towards freestyle because freestyle was just starting to blow up. Right. And so you know, I was talking to Kurt and said, "Hey, you know what? You're just sinking all this money in the race team. We should just put all the money in the freestyle team and um, and go that route and and keep making the movies. I think it's going to blow up." And uh, we didn't really see eye to eye on that. So I ended up just um, leaving and going off on my own and uh, starting, uh, well, the very next video I made actually was um, actually the first Transworld motocross video called Crush. Okay, yeah. And so, I was, so I was contracted to make that film uh, for Transworld. That was in 2003. Um, uh, simultaneously, I came up with this concept to make a uh, natural terrain free ride motocross contest uh, up in the hills of Santa Barbara. And I had become friends with these ranch owners, and I wanted to do this contest. I pitched it to um, the marketing director at the time of Transworld, which was Mark Fiore. And I said, Hey, I, I really think that this free ride natural terrain contest could be something really cool, and, and we could also make a video, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, make another transfer video. And he said, you know what? He's like, that's, that's a terrible idea. He's like, no, nobody's going to, nobody's going to go to this free ride natural training contest. It's just, it's just a waste of an idea. We're not interested. I said, Oh, okay. So I said, well, you know what? I said, who needs them anyways? Right. So I, um, basically partnered up at that time with Doug Parsons and we, uh, simultaneously, um, I, fu I basically funded everything and, uh, we started the first natural terrain contest, which was called ride to the Hills. And, um, at that time, uh, when we did ride to the Hills one, 
2004 was also the time that I started a new series called On the Pipe, which I partnered up with my longtime uh, friend and mentor, Mike McIntyre of Mac Dog Productions. Right. And uh, Mike McIntyre is like probably the most legendary snowboard filmmaker in history. Um, also did some legendary skateboard films like Sick Boys and Hocus Pocus. And so I kind of grew up watching his films, which is what made me want to move to Lake Tahoe. And uh, so, you know, I invited him to shoot an angle at the contest, right, at the hills. We saw how, he finally saw how big these guys were going, and he was blown away and said, hey, are you doing a video this year? And I said, no, right now I'm just doing this contest. And, you know, Transworld, uh, Mark Fiore passed on making another film project and on this natural terrain contest. He said, well, who needs him? Let's just do it ourselves. I said, okay. So we partnered up together, and um, that was the birth of, of the on the pipe series. Um, and then, uh, throughout the next decade, uh, from 2004 up to 2010, uh, we kept doing the ride to the Hills. Uh, then Red Bull bought it off me in 2005 and it became Red Bull ride to the Hills. Um, and we just kept making bigger and bigger jumps. I didn't <laughs> want to be just another filmmaker yeah. that was like, Hey, you know, Oh yeah, sure. I'll show up at your track, you know, and just film you riding around your track. Um, you know, I wanted to actually progress the sport on my own by financing, renting the tractor equipment, hiring the tractor operators and water trucks and all that stuff. And I wanted to make bigger free ride jumps than anything that's ever been built in the past. And and I feel like I accomplished that, you know, so that's uh, been a big that has been a big part of the foundation of the on the pipe films is those big jumps that, that we financed to make. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm really proud of that. And, uh, after on the pipe six, um, with the decline in sales of DVDs due to, uh, piracy and everybody basically just stealing my content and putting it up online. Uh, once my sales went down, the tubes and I was barely making enough just to, you know, cover the expenses of making a film. We decided to, uh, make on the pipe six, our last film, myself and Mike McIntyre. Uh, then in 2014, I, um, well, let's see. No, what happened after that? So after that, <laughs> uh, that's okay. So I'm trying, I left out things in 2010, um, I got contracted to make the Metal Militia movie Black Friday. Okay, yeah. Um, so I, I spent a year working on that film, which was awesome, and working with crazy guys like Jimmy Fitzpatrick and Wes Agee and uh, Brian Deegan and, and all the other um, you know characters like Rob Adelberg and Jackson Strong, all the, all the militia guys. So, so that was a really fun and crazy project. Um, and then after that, um, I, in 2000, so that came out in 2011. In 2012, I released a documentary called Twitch's 420% All Natural. Um, that was a collaboration between myself and Jeremy Stenberg. Uh, we were trying to make an all natural terrain free ride contest that didn't include ramps. And uh, that was just kind of, you know, a little bit more. Uh, talking and narrative through it. So that was a fun project, and I think it got a pretty good response. Um, I took a 
uh, two-year break after that from making documentaries. And then in 2014, got a call from Wes Agee, and he asked me to uh, work with him on a project, which we eventually dubbed the Lone Wolf Project. And it was basically about him doing the biggest natural terrain backflips in the world. Uh, again, a subject that I'm really interested in because, as I've said, I'm all about progression. And Wes was doing huge jumps and huge flips, so I, I was I was intrigued by this. Um, we um, ended up self-financing that project, but uh, after we couldn't get the support from any of his sponsors, um, we ended up, um, well, Wes basically ended up kind of retiring midway through the project so we never got to finish the lone wolf project so at that point i decided to just turn the lone wolf project into on the pipe seven and make that the last on the pipe in the series um i spent the next two years um you know filming with other guys like you know the legendary tom pages um and tons of other you know mind-blowing uh writers in that film um and so we released that film, which um, I'm, I'm really proud of. And, and uh, you know, with the help of Brian McCarty, uh, we we actually gave Brian McCarty uh, an opportunity. Um, he was just kind of working at the hospital at the time and doing some jump shows. Um, the writers, the core writers in the sport knew who he was, but uh, above and beyond that, he was a pretty underground writer. Mm-hmm. Um, when Wes bowed out of doing the world record line that Paula had built specifically for my film, uh, I approached Brian McCarty and said, Brian, would you be interested in doing a world record flip? And, um, you know, I, I would pay you to do the stunt. And he said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to, you know. And so he came out. Um, he had the expertise of Trick Factory Ramps, Matt McCall, who, you know, has been designing X Games courses for years. And he's done built all of Maddo's world record ramps. He's um, he's just done a lot of big stuff, done renters, quarter pipe ramps. So so he's really knowledgeable. And, um, you know, I basically gave Brian an opportunity to try this setup out, and uh, he did it. He pulled off a world record 212-foot flip. He stayed at my house for months and uh, trained for that, as well as learning to ride a quarter pipe. He really hadn't rode a quarter pipe before this. And so he got um, hands-on training, which he learned how to do the quarter pipe. And because of, uh, you know, him breaking the quarter pipe record at 38 feet high um, and getting that experience, that got him an invitation into X Games uh, quarter pipe higher last year. And then um, also uh, put him on the map as a true daredevil um, stuntman. So, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm really happy with that movie. Broke two world records and just built the biggest free ride jumps that have ever been done. And still to this date, there hasn't been any bigger backflips or bigger natural turning backflips uh, that have been uh, done. And that movie uh, came out a year ago. The record flips were done about two years ago. So, um, so yeah, that, that I, I think that movie will stand the test of time. Um so, yeah, simultaneously, while I was doing all that, while I was doing all the On the Pipe series, my partner, Mike McIntyre, uh, started on this project in 2005 that is basically the history of uh, long-distance jumping. Right. Um, and, and so I've been filming. I've been basically the right-hand filmer for Ryan Capes, Robbie Madison, J. 
Jason Bird, and now Alex Harville. And I've uh, pretty much shot most of those jumps exclusively. Obviously not the uh, Red Bull jumps um, because, you know, it's been all over social media. But all the other guys I listed, um, a lot of that footage has never been seen. And, yeah, I'm very fortunate to have documented the biggest jumps in history with that project. And uh, so now we're finally getting to editing that, which is, uh, I believe, going to be the dog town of motocross films. Um, pushing hmm. the envelope and, and telling the true history of where the sport actually started and the true facts. And every single guy who's held the, the distance record all the way up to current time, um, Alex Harville, who holds it right now at 425 feet. So, um, yeah, so basically, as you can see, the last 20 years, uh, I've, I've been just more infatuated with the progression of the sport and um, how how I can be a part of it uh not just by filming it but by also you know helping to finance some of these jumps and pushing pushing the envelope myself with with making these jumps for sure like it's it's one thing for a rider or a promotional company to say hey we've got this jump um we want and we got a rider we want you to film this guy hitting the jump it's not too often that you actually have a filmmaker creating the uh the obstacle creating the uh the death defying stunt like in 2000 and i believe it was 2006 2007 uh, when ryan capes goes 310 for the first time ever which actually sounds quite small compared to the 425 uh that's currently been uh been achieved but uh really cool to see a filmmaker basically uh upping the ante to these athletes that uh, are already pretty special in and of themselves yeah, absolutely. You know, and um, that's like I said, that's uh, been pretty much the last two decades of my life is to um, follow the progression of, you know, the most innovative riders such as Tom Pages, um, but also the the daredevils like Robbie Madison, Ryan Cape, Jason Bird, Alex Harville, Mike Sinkmars, um, You know, all these all these legendary guys. You know that that have. Uh, push the distance record uh, so far, you know. Absolutely, and and on top of that, uh, also uh, some some thought provoking uh, characters in and of themselves. These guys that are capable of of uh, swallowing all that uh, that fear and just spitting out pure gold is it's not it's not a uh, a common thing. So being able to surround yourself with those kind of people is uh, is a rarity in and of itself. Um, this last weekend, uh, X Games uh, two thousand eighteen. Uh, what? How many was this X Games twenty? How many? How many twenty? How many X Games are we at? Too many. Oh geez, I don't. I don't even know what number this was. I'd have to look at my uh, my my past. Yeah, but, um, I think the first yeah, one was five years prior to ninety nine because they they did five years of X Games prior to the uh, in like having freestyle motocross. So. Whatever that it, it works, I think it's about twenty four years. Either way, um, it doesn't even say it here. It doesn't even say in my past. It's it's it just yeah. It doesn't say what number it is. Perfect. So many that they stopped counting. Uh, but uh, you were active once again, uh, and and doing a lot of filming with uh, with Thomas Pages who uh, um, he himself had a spectacular weekend and you were able to capture it. The thing we talked about last night, we're going back and forth a little bit, is this, it's not like uh, these events are not like a, a race where um, you know where the, fe- the, the big jumps are and you can kind of set yourself up to grab a picture of Eli Tomac hitting the finish line because he's going to hit it about uh, 45 times throughout the day. Uh, whereas uh, Thomas Pages is going to do a, a no-handed backflip 
approximately twice in one particular event. So uh, maybe twice. Uh, so you better catch it when you do. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. This is what I tell all the up-and-coming cinematographers. You know, everyone says, like, oh, I can shoot this, I can shoot that. Yeah, you can. But when it comes to capturing a one-time stunt, you just need to be ready. There's no, as your principal job as a cinematographer, as a videographer, filmmaker, whatever you want to call yourself, is to capture that, that jump, that stunt, whatever it is. You know, the writers, they got enough going on on their own mind. They can't, they don't want to be bothered. You know, you know, you don't, you don't want to say like, oh, okay, let me know before you're going to jump. Like <laughs> that doesn't happen. You yeah. know, there's a, there's a, a, a recent, um, filmer that I know that was shooting a, a real moto part. Um, and there's a huge gap with a 170 foot gap. And, you know, when you got to jump like that, as a filmer, you need to be set up and basically rolling before the guy even gets to the jump. Before he even does any speed runs, any test runs, you need to be set up and ready. Not whatever you might be doing, whether it's, you know, smoking pot or hanging out or whatever. You need to be ready. You need to almost pretty much be ready to shoot as the guy's gearing up. There's yeah. no excuses. There is zero excuses as a filmer not to be set up before a guy goes for a one-time stunt. There just isn't. And so apparently this uh, filmer wasn't set up. The rider went for this huge jump. Uh, it was his first time hitting it. And he crashed really bad. And the filmer wasn't set up and he missed the shot. So um, not only did he miss the epic crash, he does, he's not going to get a chance to, do, uh, to try and capture the actual getting of the... Uh, the, the 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 completed attempt. Well, yeah, I mean, well, he <laughs> exactly the completed attempt never never happened. He only did it once because he crashed, and, right? And he went to went to the hospital, and that was it. And um, you know, a big part as a documentary filmmaker, whether you're making a feature, a short, you know, just a, even if it's just a web edit, is to tell the story. Without the crash, you can't tell the story. It's just. It does, it's almost like it doesn't exist. You don't have the footage. It's like it never happened. The tree falls in the middle of the forest. Did it happen? Well, sure, it happened, but nobody was there to capture it. So my whole point is that um, I've based my uh, livelihood, you know, on making sure that I nail those one-time shots, all the way from hard first backflip at Gravity Games when I was shooting on 16-millimeter film. There's, there's no excuse. I, I nailed it. You know, every single one of Maddo's cape bird jumps, I, I, which is kind of crazy. I keep waiting for me to mess it up, but I've been very lucky that I have nailed every big distance jump or, or wrecked or backflip or, um, you know, I mean, sure, there's been times where I've missed some, some crashes, maybe on a natural jump, but, but something that's like a big gap that's been hit, for, that's being hit for the first time. No, I, there, I've never missed that. So, um, so, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of, a lot of um, you know, importance that you have to put on this, uh, yourself as a filmmaker with um, just uh, the basic things such as being set up, you know, being professional um, and really, really trying to, you know, a lot of, a lot of filmers up and coming are kind of just maybe they're stoners and they're just 
joking around and they might not take it serious. You got to take this thing serious. Otherwise you're never going to get to the next level. Absolutely. So, and, and to, to get to any professional level, you have to be dedicated to it. And you've certainly been, been that over the last 20 years. Uh, and, and basically turning out almost a film pretty much every single year since then. Um, this last weekend you're, you're working with, uh, Thomas Pages a little bit, and like you said earlier, you kind of alluded to the the landscape has changed. Um, like the idea that you're going to film um, the uh, the the X Games and then put out a film, like put a DVD about it six months later, is not realistic. Uh, you need to have it edited and based and what, your content edited and basically put out as quickly as possible. Uh, and on top of that, you need to put it out in a way that uh, you can actually monetize it because, you, like you said, it's all too easily. People are able to recreate it or uh, capture it and re- reproduce it in a way that uh, doesn't get you paid. Um, how important is like a, a, a platform like Vimeo to uh, uh, a, a person like yourself that uh, basically that's a, a website where uh, you got to pay to play as far as when it comes to watching the videos? Yeah, you know, um, so let's get back to the Tom Project thing. So yeah, yeah this last weekend, I wasn't even planning on going to X Games at all. Um Tom Pajet and I became good friends. Uh, well, actually, me and Tom and his brother, Charles Pajet, all became uh, good friends. Uh, right around 2008, I met them when they first came over a decade ago when Charles came over uh, to compete in Best Trick uh, Moto at Staples Center. And then, um, you know, then I filmed them for On the Pipe 6, and Charles and Tom... For, uh, at Andre Villa's compound and at Jay Renee's compound. So I went out to Spain and France and filmed out there for on the Pipe 6. At that time, Charles was the man. He was pretty much one of the top three guys in the world at that time um, until his injury. Yeah. And Tom was, was at one point a top guy, but he kind of stopped flipping and kind of took a little break from that. Um, and then that's how he kind of got into doing the other innovative tricks. So um, Tom and I stayed good friends. Um, and, uh, you know, I worked on his last video last year with him called Homework. Um, that was a really awesome uh, viral video. And then, uh, you know, he hit me up like a month ago and said, hey, man, do you want to come to X Games and, you know, film my uh, X Games experience out there? I said, sure, let's do it, you know. Um, he's been so good to me and taking care of me on – so many different levels that um, I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I went out there and I figured, you know what, if I'm going to go, might as well go with the best, right? So um, went out there and uh, documented that whole thing. And uh, I believe tomorrow he's going to launch um, the Facebook video that we made and also the two uh, Instagram videos that we made, which goes a little bit more, it's a little bit more, uh, it's like a mini doc, you know, some storytelling involved, um, giving you kind of more, his perspective uh, from when he went out there and, and some of the modifications he had to make to the course uh, in order to um, make the quarter pipe work and whatnot and all the carrying it all the way through his uh, gold medal run in X Games this year and then his uh, silver in best trick. There you go. And, so, and yeah. Yeah, and and it was a very impressive weekend for him, and you were able to capture that. Working with a guy like Tom, um, like how how important is it for you to kind of just let him do his thing, and you to be like just a fly on the wall to capture it all? And then when it comes to doing you doing your work, um, like you seem to always bring some new flavors and some new, basically a new perspective 
to filming motocross but at the same time most of the time when i'm watching your stuff i know that it's a jay Schweitzer production so how do you try to create a brand of filming and stay fresh if that makes sense um you know i i my whole thing is is it's a pretty simple formula like i have always tried to get inside the mind of the athlete that's the stuff that's the parts that a lot of um people seem to miss you know it is covered in some tv stuff and whatnot but i mean you know they're not not you even watch x games and watch his run and say okay he's one of the most innovative guys but you don't hear them talking about oh yeah when he showed up the uh super kicker ramp wasn't level and it wasn't it wasn't even jumpable you know you don't hear anything about that you don't hear you know, Tom's walking out there with a level on the course and making sure everything is, is accurate and precise. You don't hear X Games talking about, oh, yeah, when they first designed the course, you know, they put all their efforts into the higher quarter pipe. But the the 13-foot quarter pipe for Tom and the other riders was not even close to steep enough, and it wasn't tall enough. So Tom stays for, you know, basically stayed till like 10 p.m. with just the track crew actually lifting and shoveling and working on stuff to get it to the point where it was going to work for him. Otherwise there was no bike flip. There was no, um, alley 540. So what I try to do is I basically interview the athletes. I ask, I ask the real questions that other people aren't asking. I tried to dig deep, get inside the mind of these guys. And then I basically just try to, um, you know, relay that story, um, you know, with nice images and using their voice to tell the story. So it's actually coming from their perspective. And it's, it's just a real simple formula, you know, that just basically is really kind of just getting into the mind of the athlete. So, um, it's the same formula I've been doing for years, but, you know, I feel like with my edits, you get to know the writer's personality and perspective a little bit better than you might with just a, a generic um, broadcast edit or or something else, you know. For sure, and I imagine that uh, there's a fair bit of work that needs to happen for uh, you to de- develop the uh, relationship needed to get inside the head of these uh, these all star athletes. Uh, when it comes to working with a guy like Tom, uh, like uh, like. Were, were you happy with uh, with your edit when it comes out? Like, were you like, yeah, I got all the shots I wanted, I got all the voiceovers I wanted, and it came together well? Yeah, you know, there. Look, as an artist, you're never satisfied. <laughs> if if you are, if you're one of those guys, it's like, oh, I'm nailed it again, nailed it again, nailed it again, and you're just kind of full of yourself. Then, you know, one, that's lame, and two, you're not always striving for perfection. You know. Um, so there's so many intricate parts, even for just a little Facebook video. Like a lot of other guys, they just, you know, kind of will put something out or whatever. I actually send my videos when I'm done to my colorist, Greg White, who's been coloring all our stuff since Moto Triple X One, actually. And so I actually send it to a real colorist who can just make it look really professional. Um, and uh, on the on the on the pipe seven stuff and the r- bigger movies, I have an audio guy that basically um, you know produces all the audio and makes it uh, sound a lot cleaner and stuff. 
Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, title design and graphics and, and, uh, and music and then dealing with the music rights and the music clearance. And there's so many moving parts to doing something the right way. Um, a lot of that kind of, you know, a lot of people will poach music and, oh, just use this song. Well, I can't do that. Um, because, you know, the videos that we make get shared by, you know, companies like Red Bull or Transworld Motorcross, all these big companies. And so I can't just steal the music, you know? And so, um, I use music that I clear on my own. I clear the master, the publishing, the broadcast rights, internet rights, all that stuff. And that takes time, uh, as, as well as, you know, mixing all the audio and, um, just, yeah, there's just so many moving parts. It's like, you know, a, a two minute video like this would take me, you know, a good to, by the time it's actually fully finished, you're looking at about two days. Yeah. So maybe two and a half. It's a lot, it's a lot of work, you know? For sure. And on top of that, like uh, when you talk, comes to uh, music and I th feel like music has always gone hand in hand with it be a snowboard video, ski video, motocross video, whatever it happens to be. Um, that that's no small task to find the right song uh, to uh, to kind of like kind of set the mood, so to speak. Uh, how do you go about uh, finding those songs? And then uh, once you found a song, uh, how, like how do you go about like how do you how do you go about getting permission properly so that it uh, it actually gets. Uh, it can be shared and stuff like that because that's not easy. And like, yeah, you're totally right. There's a lot of uh, like, like ripping off songs that happens. Uh, I'm sure throughout time when it comes to making videos and whatnot. Yeah. Well, um, as far as music, that's a whole. That's almost a whole separate. That's another podcast. podcast. Yeah, but um, the the quick nutshell of it is that um, you know, it, it depends on what you're project is if you're making a film like on the pipe seven you know i use uh like there's 45 minutes of instrumental music in on the pipe seven uh that music um i was fortunate enough to hook up with these guys from uh music reliance uh and methodic doubt and they make music for big feature films and i've been friends with those guys and so i i, I kind of get a good deal working with those guys and so I, I used about 45 minutes and on the pipe seven of this theatrical style scored music. And then I used 30 minutes of uh, big name bands such as uh, on the pipe seven. We've got offspring rise against um, bad religion. Um, well, slightly stupid. Uh, I'm sure I'm forgetting more big bands, but those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head. So we used, you know, quite a few big bands, and that stuff isn't easy. I've got my friend Jordan Burns, uh, like I said, longtime drummer of Strung Out, right. and uh, he knows everybody. And so um, he's helped me a lot with uh, my music clearance, and uh, I usually hire him for a lot of the bigger bands, and uh, he's he's been very successful in, in, you know, getting me these bigger bands. When I'm doing stuff that doesn't have as big of a budget, such as, an X Games, uh, Tom Pages edit, you know, then I'll work with other artists that make great instrumental music, such as like this current one. Um, I worked with my buddy, Jeff fair of, uh, FHR productions. Uh, Jeff is actually an old freestyle motocross rider from Canada and he's been making music. And so he oh, actually, okay. has yeah, I know, I know who he is. He used to, he actually used to, back yeah, flip. He's, he's still flipping. He's still, yeah, there you go. So he's still flipping, he's still riding and killing it, and uh, he's been getting heavily into 
making and creating his own music. Um, like I said, he's got quite a few songs on Pipe 7. I told him about this project. I needed something. When you're telling a story, you don't want, at least my, what I like, I like to use music that doesn't have vocals. I don't want vocals from a song competing with vocals from the writer doing an interview. Okay. So um, I like to use instrumental music for stuff where, where there's a lot of interviews. This current Tom Pages X Games edit has Mike Mason talking about Tom. It has Twitch talking about Tom. And then it has Tom talking about his experience. So um, you got three different writers in there, you know, all talking about this, you know, guy. And um, I tried it. So for that, it made sense to use a instrumental track. Uh, so I was working with Jeff on this and uh, found something that I felt that anybody could listen to a 95 year old lady versus a, you know, eight year old kid could listen to this music. It's not heavy metal. It's not punk rock, you know, but at the same time, it's not techno. It's not, you know, it's just kind of like bass and drum. That's it's fine. It doesn't sound bad. It's not that most epic music, but it serves the purpose. It, it, it's something that just more flows with the footage. So yeah, it just all depends on the, the on, the, on the scope of yeah. It just depends on the scope of the project and what you're doing uh, that determines what kind of music you're going to use, and the, of course the budget, obviously. Oh, for sure. Uh, if, you've, if you've got the big budget, you can call up those big bands. But the reality is, the the, the job can get done with some uh, with a tight budget in mind. Um, you're you're uh, obviously you you've got a ton of things on your plate coming up. Uh, and, and you've been working at it for a long period of time. Um, I ask you now, what, what's, what kind of things are, uh, are kind of down the horizon for a uh, Jay Schweitzer? Uh, well, right now we are, well, now that I'm done with the X Games edit as of this morning, um, I'm back to jumping on the, uh, the edit of our Daredevil project that Mike McIntyre and myself are working on, uh, that project i told you about the history of daredevil right. motorcycle jumping in specific long distance jumping um so we're finishing up that project uh we'll also after the film comes out we'll also be coming out with a more in-depth series um that goes more into depth on uh, main characters like Maddo, capes bird harville uh sink mars and more and then uh in addition to that i'm also working on uh developing another free ride natural terrain competition that will be happening next winter at my favorite location, Danimal's Domain. Uh, so I'm working on those two things uh, very heavily right now. Um, and, uh, you know, within, within that, there's a couple other things that I, I can't really talk about, but those are the two big projects I'm working on right now. Fair enough. We'll look forward to those and uh, the, the the top secret ones that you can't tell us about right now. A um, couple of things I wanted to kind of pick your brain about before I let you go, my friend, is uh, um, actually this is, well, I just kind of thought of it while we're talking, and it's a topic that uh, I brought up to uh, Nate Adams in the fact that uh, back in 2002 and maybe all the way through 2006, uh, Gravity Games, uh, their course was all dirt. Uh, and I feel like that really uh, shook up the uh, results quite a bit because of Dirt is a moving, living entity that uh, isn't totally perfect. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, on a on a on a one time one once a year having an event where uh, it's a hundred percent Dirt course? And um, yeah, so what would you think about that? Well, I'm kind of already 
that's pretty much what my free ride event is is about. It's right. going to be it's going to be all dirt, except the only difference is it's not going to be you know seventy five foot dirt jumps. We're talking the smallest jump will be about a hundred, and the biggest one will be about two hundred and forty. So, um, wow. yeah, I'm all for that. Nate Adams actually competed in our Ride of the Hills contest in 04, 05, and 06. Um, but, uh, yeah, so obviously I'm all for that. I'm already trying to work on a natural terrain contest. If you're talking more FMX type, yeah. uh, you know, 75, that, um, yeah, that'd be great. I mean, I remember the courses that they had at the Home Depot Center also. Um, you know, w- once you have a bigger area to work with right because that's the main problem that there just wasn't enough room inside that uh u.s bank stadium there in minneapolis Uh, but when you have a bigger area and you got more dirt you know then you can start doing making all the dirt jumps and then the transfer lines open up tremendously like just different options for guys to do stuff um the possibilities are endless so of course we'd all like to see that happen um, but I think because, you know, this is a made for TV show, the X game, um, they got to do what makes sense for them within their budget and everything they got going. Um, so, but yeah, you'd need a different location than what they had. You need a bigger stadium like the home Depot center, uh, like that gravity games area we had there in Cleveland. Um, so, you know, or Providence. So you need just a bigger area, more dirt and more a bigger budget and sure and it, of course it'd be great to see that so i guess we'll have to wait and see what the uh corporate entities do yes sir uh, my my assumption is, uh, is is more uh more of what we've, we've been seeing lately which is uh yeah pretty uh, probably tight confines and uh, a made for tv package which is kind of what kind of segues into my next uh topic which was uh a little bit of a disappointment on my side maybe the the tv shots didn't show the crowd uh as big as it maybe was but i saw a lot of empty seats in uh in the usa bank yeah. uh, uh or like stadium what were your thoughts on uh like uh, uh world class athletes uh performing in front of well tons of people at home but not too many people in the stadium yeah, that that was unfortunate, you know. I um it was it was actually a big shock, you know. Um why do I think that happened? Well, there's two reasons why I think that happened. Um you know, one is you know, when they had it at Staples Center in LA, it's LA, right? Southern California, I don't care what anyone says, it pretty much is you know, the mecca for extreme sports like just you know it's just it's just people live breathe eat sleep poop action sports in (laughs) in southern california right so you know you have you have it in la everyone's gonna come san diego everyone's gonna come right okay you had it in austin right but in austin the way that the the course was laid out they had a lawn area and the lawn area was basically your one main crowd area. So they were able to centralize all of the fans into one spot. So it made it look like there was, you know, a a full stadium, right? But technically, there was no stadium there in Austin. It was in a parking lot of of the Circuit of Americas where they do the uh, road race and stuff. So they were able to, they were smart about it and how they were able to centralize all of the 
fans in one zone to make it look like there's a lot of people, okay? Mm-hmm. So also, back when they used to have the X Games in L.A., tickets were free for the first five years. So now they're charging for tickets. I yeah. guarantee you, if they let everybody in there free, stadium would be packed. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, that, so, I, I did not know that. That, that is surprising. And, uh, like, basically going at a, into a smaller market to begin with and then, it, and then uh, having prices for, for the tickets, uh, that's a kind of a, a, not a recipe for success as far as getting people butts in seats. Yeah, and, you know, even, even for someone like myself, it, it doesn't make the shots look as good. Right? Oh, empty so, uh, People's eyes get drawn to the emptiness of the seats. So they're like, Oh, oh yeah. Oh, what trick was that? Oh, oh, I just saw that there wasn't anyone there. It's it's a trip. Like I had a couple other people say watching my footage, and they're like, "Man, there was no one there." I'm like, "Yeah, not my fault." <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it almost looks like practice for Supercross. Like I, I, all my, I, I a lot of times I try and take a lot of like when I go to press day at Supercross, I'm taking photos mostly in corners because I don't want to take a picture where a guy is like flying through the air and there's nothing but empty seats behind him. That doesn't look good on Supercross. Um, but uh, yeah, the, for the same thing, you know, for as far as uh, the crowds, I'm just very surprised by that. But uh, also, it is Minnesota, not LA. Um, I think, and uh, it's like, uh, it's an indoor event as far as uh, the motocross is concerned. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but if I lived in Minnesota, I'd probably want to be outside on a beautiful sunny day because uh, they get winter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. But you know, I think that just letting people in for free will make a huge difference. Oh, huge, absolutely. Um, so you're excited about releasing uh, the Facebook and Instagram videos coming up? We'll keep uh, we'll keep tabs on that. How? Can people uh, keep tabs on you going forward, and uh, and how can they, uh, and also how can they support your films uh, that you're making, so you can continue to make these films? Because uh, um, I don't know about you, but I fell in love with the sport through uh, the the video and the uh, the magazine. Um, like I watched Revelation one nine nine till it wouldn't play anymore, and all of those videos and, and uh, all of the the. Uh, the Moto Triple X, so they wouldn't play anymore uh, because I live in Canada where we do get winter and I had spent six months away from my motorcycle. Um, so where can people uh, like basically support your videos and uh, yeah, give you the same love that I've given you? Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I'm on Instagram, which is just my name. At, uh, actually, no, I changed it now. So it's at on the pipe series. So okay. that's at O-N-T-H-E p-i-p-e series um so that's my instagram um uh, i don't post a ton on there but i do i do post you know when i make new edits and stuff i definitely post that kind of stuff um facebook i also post which you can follow me on uh my personal facebook which is jay schweitzer s-c-h-w-e-i-t-z-e-r and also uh i have an on the pipe six uh, page and a power band Facebook page. They're all kind of connected. So you can find all of those through the Jay Schweitzer Facebook page. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, uh, pretty much how you can follow my stuff. I blew it. Hey Jay, before I let you go, uh, plug people in on that website of yours because you know you want them to get to uh, buy that video of yours. Yeah. If, if anyone's interested in purchasing any of the on the pipe movies, especially the new one on the pipe seven, the last hit, uh, you can go to my website at www.powerbandfilms. That's one word. P O W E R B A N D S I L M S 
com, and on there you can watch the trailer and you can also uh, purchase the movie straight uh, from my website to iTunes or you can get it on um, you can get it on Vimeo in 4K or you can buy the DVD or Blu-ray directly from me or you can buy we now have a box set out that has on the pipe one through six in the box set so there you go yeah absolutely go to powerboundfilms.com and uh really easy to navigate uh you can use it you can uh, navigate on your phone you can do it on a laptop and uh, and get yourself the the box set and then also uh might as well get that last hit in there and uh and purchase that film as well enjoy it and uh again thanks for coming on jay Thank you so much, Brad, and, and thank you to all the fans that have supported us over the last two decades. Uh, without you guys supporting our cause, we we wouldn't even be here. So thanks again to, to all the, the fans, the landowners and riders who have let us build crazy jumps on their property. And, of course, thank you to all the riders who have pushed the level of the sport above and beyond over the last two decades and, and obviously have um, you know, special thanks and prayers to all the riders who have uh, lost their lives in the effort of, in the name of the progression of this sport.